Welcome to season two of the Warriors of Education podcast, bringing you heartwarming and real conversations with teachers on the front line of education across the globe. I'm Karen Sarah Watson. I'm not only the host, but I am a teacher. This podcast is for people who want to better understand the experience of today's teachers. Come join us. Welcome to the Warriors of Education podcast. Today, I'm thrilled to have on Olivia Swisher, a fourth year middle school teacher at a public school in Sunset Park, Brooklyn. She's a member of the Movement of Rank and File Educator Caucus of the UFT. She teaches art and social emotional learning. Thank you so much for coming on, Olivia. It's so nice to have you. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I wanna, I'm, I'm really interested in, in your work with arts and education and accessibility. We're, I wanna talk a little bit about that. We're gonna talk a little bit about what the pandemic was like for you. I'm an arts teacher also, so I would love to hear your experience as an arts teacher teaching remotely also. So let's just get into, first of all, your work with arts education and accessibility. Okay, so, um weirdly it's kind of crazy to say i've been working in arts education for 10 years now and i began my journey as an arts educator in museum education working a part of their access and accessibility programs um, when i was there those programs didn't exist yet but a, a mentor of mine georgia Krantz, began creating the space for accessibility programs for adults that's how our access programs began at the Guggenheim. And then we began um, thinking broadly into K through 12 education. And I also worked at the Jewish Museum and their access department, and also did some freelance work at the Museum of Modern Art. And so um, that work really was for, for me, my specialty was in adult education for people who are blind and also people who, um, have dementia or Alzheimer's. And then I also worked as an education coordinator working with the Guggenheim Museum specifically to make sure our exhibitions were as accessible as possible. This was right after the new ADA, Americans with Disability Act had been updated. And so there were new guidance for cultural institutions to make their spaces accessible. Um, and so it was a really great first job for me um, to be in that space and be like a learning sponge and absorbing a lot of information about how cultural institutions work and the types of decisions that are made in art spaces and how we can bring more people into the arts that might be historically excluded. Awesome. So tell me how that translated into you teaching middle school. So one of the bummers actually of working in a museum is that it's both magical and that you're working in the museum, but the bummer is that you meet these people and you only see them usually once. And with some of our regular programs, especially for older adults, I loved seeing the community once a month. But what really sustains me as an educator and what I learned on my journey is this day in and day out arts education um, that's really rooted in seeing people as they develop. Um, and for me, middle school is important because of the brain development at that time. I made a conscious choice to be a middle school art teacher. There's so much um, physical and neurological and cognitive development that happens 
but it felt like a really impactful time to be an art teacher. And I didn't have art in middle school. And sometimes I think like what kind of person I might've been had I had art education in middle school and how it might've helped me through some challenging times. So I'm very passionate about making sure middle schoolers have art education, especially in New York. There are a lot of opportunities for students to go to an arts-based high school. Um, and I think it really is crucial that they have a strong art education during middle school to at least give them that option. Fantastic. So tell me what happened with you during the pandemic as an art teacher. Oh my God. Um, well, you know, I'm a newer teacher. I've only been teaching for four years, but as an art teacher, I will say I rarely used slides. Like I would do visual thinking strategy exercises, but tech was not in my classroom. Um, it just wasn't. I, we, I have my beautiful 40 minutes and I was going to use that time making with students and doing hands-on learning. It was the only hands-on learning that they would have throughout their day and besides physical education. And so I really prioritized the making time over anything else. And so I never even had a Google Classroom. Um, I, like, when we found out we went remote and we were gonna have a Google Classroom, I felt up for it, but you know, it was 72 hours to take everything that I had done in person and become this online version of myself. Um, at my school, we did asynchronous learning. So I really shifted in the spring of last year to being like a curriculum designer. Like I wasn't actually interacting with students. I was creating content and posting it and evaluating that. It was very odd and very separate. Um, it was not my favorite way of teaching, but in a way it helped me grow a lot as a teacher. Um, because I started to really think about like, what's the core of my curriculum? And what is art for in school? And what's art for during a pandemic? And if it's for having that creative break in your day when everything around you is really scary and awful, then that's what I want it to be. Or is it you really enjoy learning about artists and their background and learning more about your own cultural background through art um, I felt like my, my job, especially last spring was like, even though I was tired and scared, it was really about like trying to make the coolest things that were engaging because I know across the city, as you know, it was very hard to get students engaged online. Oh yeah. And I just wanted them to enjoy their moment, this moment, like what was going on, have a break from a lot of the chaos. And in Sunset Park, I live in one of the zip codes of Sunset Park, we had one of the highest death rates at that time. Um, so it was very, really, really scary and traumatizing. And I just wanted art to be an outlet for whatever students were going through. Well, thank God for arts teachers. <laughs> thank God during this whole thing, because I feel like art saves us all. They say that saying, and I totally believe that. So, um, and I know as a theater teacher, I just know how much that the students were so excited to have something different that they didn't have to sit down and write it's something that they could use their creative mind and it got their mind off of what was happening in the world around them. So thank you for being a great art teacher and helping kids with that. 
So um, now you are um, you are a member of MORE, so you're an activist. How did you become a member of MORE? And what are some of the things you're passionate about um, really as an activist? So I became a member of MORE during the pandemic. Um, actually, and not in the beginning of the pandemic, I became a member of MORE over the summer for two reasons. One, um, their massive mobilization of our unsafe return to school. The plan that was laid forth was really scary. Um, and it was nice to see a, or a group of teachers or educators organizing to say, no, we don't have to accept this. Um, and then really what brought me in is actually a lot of the work they were doing um, for Black Lives Matter. And so I was seeing two things, like a group of union members who were passionate about making sure our schools are safe, but safety that extends not just like pandemic safety, but what actually is school safety and what makes our schools safe. It's the ventilation, it's the people who are in the positions of teaching and running the schools. It's um, who greets you at the beginning of the school day. It's whether or not your heat is working. It's your overcrowded classroom. Um, it's do you even have the resources to do the work and have the students be successful? And so they were really expanding the idea of even like health justice and um, what school safety actually looks like. And it was intersectional in many ways about it. I think sometimes in education, we become really locked on certain issues, but they were, uh, they were bringing focus to the systemic issues that had gotten us to this point where our schools were unsafe for many reasons beyond just coronavirus. And so I joined last summer um, and I started by organizing phone zaps. Um, my husband is high risk for COVID for multiple health reasons, not just one. And um, I was gonna be back in the classroom and I was really worried about potentially bringing coronavirus home to um, him. But also that was the experience of like my students, like we don't, I was really worried about the community safety. And so in more, a lot of people took to the streets, but there was a space to start organizing these massive phone banks to our city council members, to the governor's office, to the mayor's office, even to the UFT demanding a safe reopening. And so it was like more was mobilizing in the streets, but also finding ways for people who might've been vulnerable to COVID or at risk for COVID to do these phone zaps. And we would have like hundreds of people making calls at the same time. It was really powerful. And so that's how I joined more. Since then I've shifted. Um, I co-lead and operate the Holding Politicians Accountable Working Group. What I really walked away with from this year is that we have to have the right people in positions running the city. And local government is if if people were like checked out of politics before this year like or thought it was just a national thing it's like our local government is what keeps us safe and we have to have the right people in power and we need people who listen to educators um, and put the right people in positions like the chancellor's position um, so i got really dialed into political organizing in that way. And we worked on creating educational resources for teachers for this most recent primaries. Um, so that's 
a lot of my work and more is um, political work. Right, and we're right now tr waiting to find out our fate. By the time this podcast comes out, we will know about who our mayor is going to be. But um, we really did need a lot of work around that because there was just, there's so much going on in coming into the new school year. Um, I'm curious about, because I talk, I talk to a lot of people from more, like I, I have more, more and more people on here than probably any other type of group, because I really love what more does and what they stand for. Um, but I'm curious, I haven't, I haven't seen where all of the work went to like, so where are you now? How, how well did the organization go? Where are we standing going into the next school year from where your perspective? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. Um, you know, as I said, I am one of the, there's like kind of a, this interesting, there was an addition of about 600 members, I think, or maybe 500 members last summer, dues paying members. So not all of those members are active within more, but they're active enough to pay $5 a month to be a part of more and sustain the work at least financially. Um, but we have about 700 members of more. Most of those joined like me last summer. And we're kind of at this moment where we're having to pause and really reflect about how we move forward. And um, Gia Lee, who is a long-term member of more. Yeah, she's great. Asked a couple times, yeah. Gia said one time in a meeting, and I it will resonate with me forever, that there are peaks and valleys of organizing. And so a lot of people were feeling, especially in the winter as middle schools reopening and then the high schools were reopening, a lot of folks were feeling like, you know, well, did we even do anything? Like, did we, did we ship the narrative? Um, you know, was our campaign to have schools reopen safely, successful? And Gia just reminded us that with organizing, there's peaks and there's valleys. And I think that we, in the winter, as really decisions were being made for schools without the input of families and teachers. And even I have a feeling like people are part of the Department of Education. Like it was just these, we would get these tweets, right? Of like, oh, schools are opening. That was just unilaterally decided. Um, a lot of people were feeling really frustrated and unheard. And so I think this summer we're having a convention where hopefully the majority of the caucus will come together. And my understanding of that convention is that we're gonna be talking about the work we've accomplished, what we've done, where we are today, and how we wanna move strategically forward. Because we have a lot of different groups organizing and working on different issues. And I think there's a lot of cross work that could be tighter and come together in a more um, strategic way. And so, the convention is really for us to like assess where we've been, what are our successes, how have we grown, and like what does more look like going into this next school year, and what campaigns are we really going to focus on? So, just from the work that you did do, how have you shifted shifted the narrative from what you know? Now I know you're going to be talking about it more, but I'm curious from your perspective, do you see um, the Im impact that that more has made? Yeah, you know, community? I. Yes, totally. Um, I really feel like, you know, a lot of our organizing last summer did delay the schools from reopening. We are really successful also at partnering with parent groups 
like Press NYC and PSP New York. And so I think that when we started to really partner with our communities and we also started working in district groups last summer. So like I'm a teacher in district 15, we had our own district organizing where we were really focusing on those elected officials, trying to get them you know, with us, the schools joining together to work collectively together. Um, I think that that's a big success, that kind of organizing more local. And then um, we did, I mean, the schools didn't open when they were supposed to. Right. It was a delayed start and it was clunky. We knew we should have started remote. Was the school system prepared for that? Not really, um, but they could have been. And they just kept forcing this reopening uh, without, but then, you know, pull things two days before, oh, we're delaying the reopening. We're delaying the reopening. And then I was a part of also, I don't know if you remember this, but there was like that 3% threshold um, that used to be the rule in the fall. And my neighborhood, my school was literally on the avenue where the school across the street, the elementary school across the street was shut down, but my school was allowed to remain open because my school was in the yellow zone and the school across the street was in the orange zone. And so I think like more was organizing around those really idiotic things that were happening throughout the school year. And more has a really large voice, um, especially on social media. A lot of people who aren't even teachers are like, oh, I saw more post about that. And they'll say that to me. And I became chapter leader this year in our most recent elections. And I had members of my chapter say, well, you know, it's, we want a more person as our chapter leader. And so I think even within the union, more being the anti-racist social justice caucus is starting to stand out more and people are interested in the work that we're doing and realize that throughout the pandemic, we were the ones sometimes not going along with what the UFT was saying, but really trying to call them in and say, hey, this deal seems a little weird or it seems like a backdoor deal. Like, let's call this out. And I think a lot of teachers really felt heard by that. Yeah, that's great. And tell me about um, some of the accomplishments with the Black Lives Matter movement. I know that there's, you guys have come really far with that. And I've interviewed some So BLM at schools, um, at NYC schools does that work and that organizing. Um, but through, there's obviously a lot of more members who do both. And for instance, like, they successfully passed a resolution within the UFT to support Black Lives Matter Week of Action in New York City schools. So that was the first week of February and that's huge. Um, that was really, really huge for the UFT to get behind that. And more and more schools, including mine this year, um, joined in on that week of solidarity and week of action, um, celebrating Black joy. And I think it's when, again, when we do these cross organizing, um, with other groups who are doing this work, but supporting each other in alliances and, and being really strategic, more things happen instead of it just being one group doing everything. Um, it's best to work together and collectively to achieve what we want. Um, and for, that was a really big success for us this year. That's great. So how, how are you feeling about going back in the fall? Like, what are your, what are your thoughts? I have feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very nervous about going back to a classroom full of 32 kids again. I feel like, you know, everyone is like, everything's great. Um, pandemic's over. So let's just go back to normal. And my concern is that administrations are going to try to go back to that, but we can't. So tell me about your experience about how you feel about going back. I'm really concerned. Um, I have classes that have been over legal capacity for the past couple of years. Um, and as the art teacher, I teach 12 to one. I teach every student. That's all I have to say. I teach everybody. I teach 12 to one. I teach all of our English language learners. I teach ICT classes. I teach gen ed classes. And before the pandemic, I had classes that were at 34 students, sometimes more. Um, and it's just me in the room. And so again, thinking about what a safe school looks like, that's unsafe. It should not be one adult to 37 children ever for 40 minutes. That was the other thing. I used to think like, I, even if I wanted to interact with each child and give them one-on-one -on -one attention, it's impossible. Um, so I'm really nervous. My school is also from 1903. Our ventilation system is basically windows. Um, our principal did buy us all these wonderful filter, like these standing filter things. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, you know, that's, I, I, my administration, they're really supportive and they want to keep us safe. I don't ever feel like they're trying to um, put us in an unsafe situation. And they really push back on a lot of the, um, I guess, just the, the way things are rolled out. They try their best to do right by the school and the community. But that said, they have, I, I have also found that administrators have very little say. And that's what we really learned this year too. Like a school doesn't really have much control over their community when it's like a pandemic. Um, and it's really, again, the elected officials and the chancellor who make those choices. I mean, even the panel for education policy really isn't that effective. Um, and that's what we found also this year. So I'm nervous because I think that there's just not enough checks and balances for school safety. And I think that a lot of decisions are just made and a lot of agreements are just made, but they're not thinking about what that actually looks like. And what that looks like for me is I know I will be in a classroom with 34 students. And I know that that's not safe because I also teach middle school. So some of my students might have gotten vaccinated, but I teach sixth grade. A lot of them are 10 and 11. And, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of people might not even be getting vaccinated, right? They might be waiting to see how things go with children, other children first. I don't know what the decisions are being made, but, and I, my big fear too, is not only for my students' health and safety, but really for our community in Sunset Park. I mean, it's already been devastated by coronavirus, I do not want the schools to become the hub of spreading. Right. And I'm really worried about the numbers. I like we have to get a whole handle on class size. 
Yeah, that's that's probably my biggest concern going in because this year, you know, I, I had such a wonderful, I was, I've been in the classroom all year. I've been in there since September, which was absolutely frightening when it first happened. But what the wonderful thing about this year was that is that we had really small class sizes. So I was able to give individual attention and management was so much better. And the learning environment, I covered so much material and much shorter periods of time. And so I'm sad. I'm not sad about the, you know, obviously I'm, I, I didn't want it to be a pandemic, but I'm sad that we have to lose that security of having small class sizes. And I mean, yeah. Yeah. I just want to say like, what a completely different way of teaching when the, the most I taught in a room this year, because I was in person starting back in February was 15. What a joy. I mean, the amount of things we were able to accomplish and also the amount of behavior, because behavior comes up, especially when you're in middle school, things happen, life happens, people have moods and feelings and things come up. Um, But having the ability to be so much more one-on-one and tighter knit, um, it was, it was like revolutionary, but it's not revolutionary. We know smaller class sizes work. Um, it makes me sad to think about literally that class being 15, double that plus four or five as my future in the fall. And it's very hard to connect with 34 people any, like in one 40 minute class. I mean, I I don't want to go back to that, but I think I'm going to. Yeah. I mean, as, as more has a lot to work with, I'm glad you guys are having a big conference because I'm very... I'm excited to hear about what the strategies are going to be for the fall to keep fighting for smaller class sizes. And that is one of the things that Moore does really well is, is, is organize and strategically plan how we can work towards these things that are incredibly important in education. But um, anyway, I just want to say thank you so much for everything that you shared. And um, I love the work that you're doing. Again, I love the work you're doing as an art teacher and making it accessible to everyone. And, um, you know, I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast and being a guest. Thank you for having me. This was nice. It was like, you know, a few weeks after school, I feel like a little more uh, even keel in a way. And so I'm glad to reflect on this year at this moment. So thank you so much for having me. You're great. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning into Warriors of Education. This podcast is produced by me, Karen Sarah Watson, edited by Alitza Renzi, and recorded in Brooklyn, New York. Make sure you subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you download podcasts. If you are a teacher or know a teacher who would like to share a story, contact us at warriorsofeducation at gmail.com or on our website, warriorsofeducation.com. Teachers, we hear you, we see you, we honor you. Thank you.